Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark 8, verse 22. We'll read verse 22 through 26. This is a short little passage about another blind man that Jesus healed. Mark 8, 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, He asked him if he saw aught, and he looked up, and he said, I see men as trees walking. After that he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up, and he was restored, and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. The blind man. Well, we want to talk tonight about the care of a servant. Uh, the Lord is caring for this blind man. We could, of course, speak about uh, spiritual blindness, but I think we've covered that uh, already in one of the other incidents in the Gospel of Mark. So, tonight, five areas of concern. And, of course, the Lord being concerned for this blind man and his family. Uh, so, we ought to be concerned with folks. First thing with which uh, Jesus is concerned is his friends. He cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man. Now, they are not mentioned. They're uh, his friends. The friends brought the blind man to Jesus. We've seen a number of illustrations in the life of Christ where folks bring others to the Lord. And you know the practical application of that, that we ought to care for folks and bring them to Jesus. These folks uh, cared for the man deeply. They cared enough to make him well. Now, it doesn't say it here, In Mark's Gospel, there's really no cross-reference to other Gospels here. We don't know for sure if this man was born blind, how he became blind. But let's assume that he had been blind for a while, perhaps even all his life. So his friends would have become accustomed to his blindness and all of the hindrances and handicaps that that would bring. They would be dealing with this daily or routinely, month by month, year by year, however much contact they might have with him. However, after these many years, they were still concerned and caring about his blindness, hoping, praying, wishing, doing whatever, that he would be healed and helped and made whole. That kind of speaks to us, doesn't it? That we can still be concerned about lost folks who are blind without Jesus or folks that have any kind of a spiritual need We get used to that after a while, and we still need to have a concern. We still need to have a care for them, hoping, praying, and doing what can be done to bring them 
to Jesus and to get them helped and healed. So they had a deep care and a genuine care, and Jesus saw their concern. The friends believed that Jesus could heal the blind man. In fact, I think in this story they were the ones that have the faith first, and that might be one of the reasons why Jesus did not heal him completely immediately. It's probably the only miracle recorded in the Gospels where Jesus did it in a process instead of all at once. And perhaps one of the reasons was because the friends had the faith, but not yet the blind man. So the friends brought him to Jesus and they believed that he could be healed. So this is a very strong lesson on intercessory prayer, bringing folks to the throne of Christ in our prayers. We are to care enough to bring people to Christ and, of course, to pray for Christ to help them, heal them, do whatever is necessary to get them to that place. The Lord prayed in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus prayed for others. Now, most of the prayers in the rest of the New Testament at least the ones I'm going to read for you here tonight from Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and Thessalonians are Paul's prayers for fellow believers. But certainly we can pray for unbelievers as well. And these verses are familiar to you if you want to write the references down. You can look them up. Romans 1.9, Paul says, he's writing to the Romans of course, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Ephesians chapter 1. I didn't realize Paul said a lot about prayer in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Then in chapter 3, in verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then again in chapter 6, of course that's the whole section with the armor of the Lord, and he concludes that, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Then in Philippians chapter 1, we put this verse in the bulletin, Philippians 1 verses 3 and 4, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. And Colossians 1 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians 4 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So we have the example of Christ, as well as the example of the Apostle Paul, and the challenge, of course, from the Apostle Paul to pray ourselves. So there's a strong lesson here on intercession in bringing folks to Jesus. One of the big ways we can do that is through our prayer life and continue to pray that the Lord would do that. We also discover that Jesus deeply cares for these friends 
who care for the blind man. And so when you and I care for somebody else, the Lord is watching that. He's concerned about that. He cares enough to receive, to listen, to act in their behalf. So Jesus is basically healing the blind man on the basis of the friend's faith. That's a challenge to us. So the caring person, the interceder, receives the care of Christ in that fashion. We're, of course, told in Galatians 6.2 to bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the first thing that Jesus sees, or the first thing about which he is concerned, is his friend. The Lord cares about our friend. Jesus is also concerned about the man's handicaps, or his handicap. So if you're making these all plural, which I am, he's concerned about friends, he's concerned about handicaps. And this man's handicap, of course, was his blindness. Make an application to all of us. All of us have handicaps. We're not perfect. We have some flaws somewhere. Maybe hidden, but we all have some flaws somewhere along the line. Now, if this man was born blind, he had never seen anything before. This is going to play a part in the later story. So this is why we're assuming he was born blind. Now, surrounding him is a throng of people. The text says, He cometh to Jesus cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. Well, it doesn't mention a crowd, but there's a crowd of people here. And so the man is with these friends. He's surrounded by the people, the throng, surrounded by Jesus. With that throng of people comes the noise that comes with this. So the man is, and they tell me a blind person is more cute to the hearing than than the rest of us. And so certainly the man would be excited, nervous, perhaps somewhat bewildered. He can't see what's going on. He can only hear what is going on. Perhaps with all the noise and not being able to see what is happening, his concentration may be weakened. Now, Jesus is... Uh, of course, watching this. Now, he's God, of course, but he can so he can do things that we can't do, but there's lessons we can learn from him. Jesus knew all that was in that man. All the conflict, not being able to see, having all these noises, not being able to discern perhaps what they are. And so what does Jesus do? He took the blind man, verse 23, by the hand. So he saw his need and he took him by the hand, and led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes. So he's taking him to a private place. He's taking him aside from the crowd, so that he could more easily focus his attention and concentrate upon Jesus. The friends wanted to bring him to Jesus, and sometimes we need to be sensitive like Jesus is to the needs of others around us to get them aside, privately perhaps, so that they can concentrate on Jesus. Folks who come to a church service, a lot of things going on, especially if they've never been to church before, or haven't been to church in a while, or haven't been to a Bible preaching church. We're strange. You and I are so used to it. But somebody coming in that doesn't know about all of this, it's like being blind and being dragged to a church service 
and hearing all sorts of things going on, not being able to perceive the difference. And so Jesus took the man aside and uh, helped him to concentrate. And when he proceeds through this, the verse says, he spit on his eyes, put his hands on him, and he said to him, if he saw aught. Now, if the man hadn't seen anything before, he says, he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. Evidently, having never seen any of these things, a tree or a man, but people perhaps describing things to him, and of course uh, he could feel what uh, people, uh, you know, he knows the sense of uh, the shape of a human being and and a tree, because he could feel those things, but had never seen them. And then after he had put his hands upon his eyes again, made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. It's a gradual process in this case. I think there's a reason why he's doing this. So he knew that in this case, the man, he'd be startled by having immediate sight. Uh, Oh, I can see. What's all this going on? But it was a gradual thing. So the man's eyes needed to be opened slowly. When you think about the gospel, sometimes that's the way the gospel needs to come to people, slowly. And the fellow who's putting these uh, notes together is giving me an insight I never saw before with this story, which I'll catch in the next thing. But Jesus is concerned about this man. Not only was he blind, but his thought patterns were uh, such that he had to take him into this slowly, little by little, gradually. And of course the point is that Jesus knew what this man needed. We don't always know that. We have to pray and ask for God's wisdom to know what a person needs. But it's suggested that the Lord opened his eyes slowly, lest he be dazzled and bewildered at the sight of everything uh, bright and uh, you know clear rushing into his mind. Uh, So he was sensitive to the man's needs. And we need to care for people who are handicapped. We all have some kind of a handicap, some kind of a limitation. Uh, We don't all learn in the same fashion. Uh, And um, uh, some of us catch on to things faster than others. The rest of us are slow learners. It's a handicap, isn't it? At least that's the way we think of it. But we all have difficulties. We're not perfect. So we need to care for a person's handicaps, understand their problems, walk a mile in their shoes, as we say. We have a tendency to criticize others because they don't walk like we walk. Uh, They don't do the things that we do. We have, for our little church, we have a lot of ministries. Some people are involved in some of those ministries. Some people are involved in other of those ministries. And sometimes it's easy for us to criticize if we're involved in one ministry that somebody else isn't involved in to criticize the other for not being involved in those things. Uh, Handicaps, difficulties uh, that we have. Everybody has their own needs, schedules, time frames, sensitivities to things. Not only in ministry, but in life itself. You know, we could go around the church with people that are here or not here and point out our handicaps that we have. Sometimes that even keep us out of church. 
difficulties that we have, being sensitive to the special needs of people. I think we need to do that, just like Jesus was to this blind man. We're told, for instance, in Romans chapter 12, to let our love be without dissimulation, and we're to abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, and be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. And so there's a couple of things that we can think about there. So Jesus was concerned about the man's friends. He was concerned about his handicap or handicapped. Jesus was also concerned about the man's beliefs. Here's the thought that I never thought of before, and this fellow brings this out. He says, people of that day believed that spittle or saliva had some healing power. And there's some truth to that. What do you do when you cut your finger? Stick it in your mouth. There's something to the spittle, the saliva, that uh, when we burn our uh, finger or cut our finger, we put our finger in our mouth. Saliva seems to ease the pain. But anyway, with this belief, he suggests that this is what this, uh, that Jesus is doing. This guy believed in this, so Jesus spit on his eyes, it says in verse number 23. Now, I don't advocate doing this. Don't spit on folks to bring them to Jesus. I don't think that's a good idea. People have a lot of different beliefs about things. In fact, when I try to talk to folks, I try to find out where they are. When I find out where they are, I don't just immediately try to open their eyes and let them see the beauty of the gospel. They have a false belief about something. Now, the saliva really was not going to heal him. Okay, The fact that Jesus spit on his eyes was not going to heal him. The next thing was going to heal him. Jesus put his hands on him. That's what healed him. You need Jesus. But people think, well, if I just do this, if I just do that, that's going to bring me salvation. You know, and, and people have those beliefs. What do we do with that? Oh, that's false doctrine. You shouldn't be listening to that priest over there or that preacher over there. Or that. Well, that's true. All right? Jesus didn't say to him that this spittle isn't going to help anything. He didn't do that. He spit on his eyes. Now, I'm not advocating you ought to, you know, maybe go with them to the, to the false church one Sunday and then bring them to the true church the next Sunday. I'm not advocating something like that. But this gradual thing, let's bring people from where they are. One of the tools, one of the rules of teaching is that you, you teach people from truths that they already know, and then you build upon that. If you bring to them new truths that they don't uh, comprehend, they're, they're not going to learn it. And you can, when we look at our educational system, we put, uh, now we do, we put our children in kindergarten. And uh, when they're in kindergarten, they learn the alphabet. They also learn their numbers. We don't bring them into kindergarten and say, all right, now here is this word. Look at this word. See how these forms and sticks and round things go. Memorize that. We teach them alphabet. All right, once they learn that, when they get to first grade and second grade, we don't necessarily forget about the alphabet, but we assume they know it. But we leave that and move on to the other things. But we don't just open their eyes all of a sudden and say, okay, here's this book, read this book. We have to teach them alphabet. Same thing with numbers. We teach them the numbers first, 
And then we will try to teach them how to add those numbers. So we don't come in there for ourselves and say, well, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's something they learn later. So the principle of teaching, and you take people from where they are. I think that's a good pre- a teaching principle that the Lord is using, and this illustration of him spitting upon the man's eyes with the spittle is taking him from a belief that he has. So we are to care for men even when their beliefs are wrong. You take them from where they are, slowly, gradually teach them that their beliefs are not correct. And one of the ways you do that is to teach them the truth. And we have to begin with people where they are. Many missionaries that go to the uh, tribal peoples, and I think this is becoming more of a thing, not just with tribal peoples. My brother uh, works for uh, New Tribes Mission as a librarian in their school, uh, but he and his wife were trained to be uh, New Tribes missionaries. They tell me that their New Tribes missions are taught this to take many of these natives back to the very beginning and talk about creation. They don't jump into the gospel right away. They go back and talk about a God who creates the world. Now that's a starting place that everybody knows about. They don't know anything about Jesus. So you take them back to creation. Everybody has a contact with creation because they live in a created world. The trees, the bushes, the earth, everything got here somehow. And so you build on that and finally get to the gospel. So I think that same principle is there. Most of us grew up in situations where we were taught these things from our youth. That's one of our problems. I'm discovering anyway that's one of the problems we have in our world today. People are not up to speed with spiritual things. And so when you and I talk about spiritual things, they have a problem. Now, you're always wanting to lead them to the essential belief. As we suggested earlier in the text here, the friends are the ones that have the initial faith. We don't read anything about the man himself. They brought the blind man, and then the Lord takes the blind man away by himself to deal with him and to try to increase his faith, because... When he's going to be healed, it's going to be on the basis of his faith. It should be. That's the way salvation works. You and I can help to bring a person to salvation, but they're not saved on the basis of our faith. They need to be saved on the basis of their faith. And so they're not going to have faith in the Lord until they get to the place where they understand what is all. So if he has a false belief, we have to bring them to the place where their faith is put in the proper truth. So lead them to the essential belief. And so you see what happened in this story. The first time, verse 23, Jesus spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him. And he said, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees. So he didn't see quite clear yet. And then verse 25, after that, he didn't spit on his eyes again. He didn't use that false belief anymore. He just put his hands on him the second time. As if to say, it's not the spittle that's going to heal you. That's a false belief. It's me, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who's going to heal you. And so he put his hands on his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. When Jesus does the healing, you can get partial healing from spittle. 
It'll help a little bit. All right? There are things you can do to help alleviate some of the stress and the problems of life. Okay? But they're not going to heal completely. So that's a lesson that we need. But we need to bring folks along so that they realize that Jesus is the one that makes them whole. So, Jesus was concerned about the friends, about the handicaps, about beliefs, and, number four, about needs. Jesus cared enough to keep after this man's needs. He didn't quit just because he saw partially. Okay, well, he's on his way. You, you know... Uh, you know, go your way, you'll, you'll get your sight back eventually. No, he was concerned enough to bring him to the place where he saw clearly. So evidently the man's faith was weak at first if he had faith to begin with, and he needed to have that strengthened step by step. You know how it is in your own life. Your faith needs to increase. Like the disciples, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So this man had to grow in stages. And we find this in life. A person is not always reached for Christ immediately. We live in a day of instant everything. And we think salvation should be that way too. You don't build a church overnight. You don't build Rome overnight. It takes time. It takes some stages. A person needs to mature in Christ. Some people, you've watched them perhaps as they've come to know Christ as Savior. Some people grow by leaps and bounds. Other people, it just seems like it takes forever for them to grow up in Christ. Everybody has their own growth level. And we must care enough to keep after people's needs. I struggle with this because I'm not a very good one for the bus ministry. The bus ministry, the people usually in the bus ministry are people who are not going to step out in faith in that first step. And in fact, with a lot of bus ministry work, you have to be back at their house every Saturday in order for them to be in church on Sunday. I struggle with this, you know. When I have, and I'm, I don't have pets, but if I have a pet or an animal, I want that animal to do what I train it to do after he's been trained several times. I don't want to have to always be prodding that animal along. Uh, that would make, and that's the way I am with Christianity. I want folks to catch on pretty quick, but they don't. And so it, it takes time. Uh, we need to keep after people's needs. There are people we visited over the last 12 years, we need to go back and visit again to help uh, prod them some more or call them on the phone or whatever. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9, in the first very first verse of that chapter, or the second verse, Galatians 6, 2, he says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If you're helping somebody bear his burden... You want to get him to the place where he's carrying his own burden or at least bringing his burden to Jesus. Okay. If you have to go back and keep helping him to bear his burden, now Paul says, be not weary in well-doing. Well, that preaches to me. So we need to keep after. Jesus didn't quit when this man didn't quite see right away. It wasn't that Jesus was failing. Okay, That's not the problem here. I think he was doing this on purpose to bring the man to faith himself. But he wasn't quite ready. 
So we must care enough to keep after people's needs. All right, we've got Jesus concerned about friends, about handicaps, about beliefs, about needs, and everybody's need level is at a different place, and family. He says in verse 26, And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town, but the idea is go home and tell your family. Jesus was concerned about his family. Here's the thought behind this that Jesus wanted the man to go home immediately and share this glorious news with his family. So Jesus was concerned about his family. That's one of the things we tell folks when they do come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to start witnessing. They're saved at church. The Christian worker will deal with them, perhaps in the other room out yonder, and come out and tell them, listen, I want you to go out and I want you to tell pastor what you did. And then we encourage him, now you go home and tell your family what you did. So Jesus was concerned about his family. This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.